For our sermon this morning, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and I will read the passage that we read earlier. Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. Luke 17, verse 11 through 19, the account of the cleansing of the ten lepers, beginning at verse 11. And it came about while he was on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw what that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus here was on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. His journey had begun back in chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel where we read that he resolutely, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that this would be his last journey to that great city of Jerusalem, and that he knew what would happen to him when he arrived there. He had been telling his disciples of it for some time, that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Jesus knew what lie before him, but he was determined to go to that city because it was his father's will and he had been sent down from heaven for this very purpose. This was really his entire mission to go to the cross and suffer and accomplish the salvation of the world. But as he traveled southward from Jerusalem down to, from Galilee down to Jerusalem, he continued to perform mighty and supernatural works of God. His route brought him to a certain village here between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered into the village, he was greeted by ten lepers, nine of them were Jews, and only one of them was a Samaritan. It was an unusual friendship which existed among them, for the Jews and the Samaritans had an ancient hostility 
against one another. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans and they would not speak even, they would not speak to one another. Back in chapter 9, when Jesus came to a Samaritan village, they would not receive him at the Samaritan village because he was a Jew and he was headed toward Jerusalem. And his disciples, being Jews, they wanted to call fire down from heaven and consume the village. But Jesus rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. But here, the common misery, the common misery of these ten lepers caused them to lay aside their own hostility based on their, natural or, their national origins, and the nine Jewish lepers accepted the company of this one Samaritan, this Gentile. If we understood how if we understand how intense the hostility was between Jews and Gentiles, we would begin perhaps to realize something of how great the need was that brought these men together. It was leprosy, it was leprosy, this most dreaded disease of their day. And if we would know how great the miracle which Jesus performed on this occasion was, then we must know something about this terrible disease of leprosy. Leprosy involved foul, open boils and sores on the skin, which slowly crept over one's entire body. The disease ate away one's limbs, disfigured one's body, and even could enter into one's bones and internal organs and eventually bring about death on its victims. It was a most hideous and a foul disease. There was no human cure. There was no human cure and there was nothing that any man could do. Any cure of leprosy, it could only come from God and from God alone. And so the leper was utterly helpless and he was desperate for divine mercy. It was a living death gradually poisoning his whole body and humanity and wasting him away. Extreme suffering to the one who had it and a horror to all around him. And the significance of leprosy in the Bible is that it was an outward symbol of human sin. The uncleanness of leprosy was a symbol of the uncleanness of sin. The foulness and the grotesque effects of leprosy show us the foulness and the grotesque effects of sin in the eyes of God. As lepers are obnoxious in the sight of men, so sin, sinners are obnoxious in the sight of the holy God. And leprosy was not just skin deep. Leprosy went down and infected the inner parts, and so it is with sin. Sin is not just something on the surface that we do. Sin has infected us down into the very core of our being. 
The leper was to tear his garments. He was to mourn over himself as if he were already like a dead man. And so it is with us who are sinful in the sight of God. We are like men who live physically, but we are like spiritually dead men by nature because of our sin. Leprosy makes men unfit for human society. Sin makes men unfit for the presence of God. There were laws in the Old Testament in ancient Israel that the lepers were to be outcasts. They were to cry out wherever they went, we are unclean, 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 they would say as a warning to all who were near. They could not dwell in the camp of Israel among the people of God. We read in Numbers chapter 5 that the Lord said, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper. You shall send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell, said God. That's what the problem was in ancient Israel, because in the camp, that's where God dwelt, and lepers, unclean because of their leprosy, could not dwell among the people because that's where God dwelt. And that's the way it is in heaven, that we cannot dwell with him in heaven because of the uncleanness of our sin, and there is no unclean thing that will ever enter into his presence in heaven. All of this symbolized the spiritual separation of sin before God. Lepers were unclean. They were outcasts from the camp. They were cut off from the rest of the people so they could not defile the camp where the Lord dwelt in the midst of the people. Leprosy was not only a symbol of sin. It was regarded by the Jews, and it really was an act of divine curse upon men for sins that they had committed. This is what we find. The Jewish people, they called leprosy the finger of God or the stroke of God. It was regarded as a divine punishment upon sin. That's what we see with Miriam. When she grumbled against Moses, she was struck with leprosy. We see the same thing with King Uzziah when he entered into the holy place, which was only for the priests. So this is what leprosy was in the Old Testament. It was a most dreadful, incurable disease regarded as a divine curse that made one an outcast from God and from his people. So when the Son of God, when the Son of God came into the world, there could have been no more convincing testimony, no greater evidence that he was the divine Messiah than for him to come and to heal this dreaded disease of leprosy. He came as the one who could take away all uncleanness, even of our sin. He came as the one who could remove the curse of God against us and take away our separation 
and bring us back into fellowship with God and into his presence. There could have been no clearer work of who Jesus is, no better picture of him as the Savior of sinners than for him to come and to heal lepers. This is what we find in Matthew's gospel, for example, in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus preached his first sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, we call it in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And then we read in Matthew chapter 8 that he came down from the mountain and the very first miracle that he performed was the cleansing of a leper. The leper came and bowed down to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And of course, Jesus was willing to cleanse the leper. He stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, I am willing, I am willing, be cleansed, be cleansed. And immediately he was cleansed from his leprosy. And here we come to the end of his ministry. And Jesus met these 10 lepers as they entered this village. We see in verse 12 that as he entered a certain village, 10 leprous men stood at a distance from him. They stood at a distance because they had respect for the Old Testament regulations that they should keep themselves at a distance from other people. Perhaps here they were standing outside the city walls, the city gates as Jesus was entering into the village. They stand afar off in verse 13. We see that they cried out for mercy. They raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, Lord, have mercy on us. How long these ten men had been together under this disease of leprosy, we do not know. But they had all come here in agreement. They do not speak here as individuals. They do not say, have mercy upon me. They speak in unison. They have a common cause. They have one purpose and all ten men raise the same cry from a distance. Jesus, have mercy on us, on all of us. They wanted the mercy of Jesus to heal them of the leprosy that they had. They wanted his pity and his compassion and they wanted him to heal them of their leprosy. It might be hard to find 10 men who can agree on anything all together at the same time. But not when they are lepers, because these men were in desperation and the one thing they needed above everything else at this time was to be healed of their disease. They felt the foulness of it. 
They knew what they needed. They could settle for nothing less. They all were in agreement that this man, Jesus, he was the one who had the power to heal them. And so they unite themselves in this hope and they cry out to him with their voices together in this single cry, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. No doubt they had heard of the mighty miracles of Jesus in the past. They perhaps no doubt had even heard that he had healed lepers before the news had reached their ears. But on this day, on this day, something that they could have never dreamed of was taking place. When they woke up this morning, of this day, they never imagined what was about to happen to them, that Jesus was coming through their village. Jesus was coming through to their village, and perhaps he would have healing mercy upon them. This was their one chance. This was perhaps their last, their only chance. It would never happen again. They could waste no time. They could waste no time as Jesus, as soon as Jesus entered their village, before anyone else could come to him, they greeted him. The ten lepers with their voices united, crying out in their desperation and in their great need, Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This is what all of us should do as sinners in this world. Whenever we hear the gospel of Jesus like these men, we are unclean in the sight of God by nature. We are unfit, we are outcasts from fellowship with him. And we must go to him directly and immediately and waste no time, for now is the acceptable time, and today is the day of salvation, and there is not one of us who knows that we even have a tomorrow. This is the cry that everyone should make. Lord Jesus, I am unclean. I am unclean. Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. A few days after this event here, Jesus would enter into the city of Jerusalem. And on that occasion, he would enter with what was called the triumphal entry. And the people would line the streets and they would lay their palm branches and spread their garments on the road as Jesus rode in on the donkey. And they would cry out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This here was not as glorious or as impressive a welcome as that triumphant entry would be in Jerusalem. But knowing the heart of Jesus, this was one that moved him even more and was even more acceptable to him because it was a cry of mercy for mercy to come from him. 
Ten leprous men greet him. They stand afar off. They raise their voices. Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. And Jesus was willing to hear their cry and to heal them. But his method of cure was most unusual. He could have healed them all at once with just a touch of his hand, as he had done before. He could have simply healed them with a word, as he had done on other occasions. But here, what he does is he gives them a command in verse 14. And he says, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. The command here, go and show yourself to the priests, was from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the command was given to those who thought they had been healed of their leprosy, they were to go to the priests. The priest had no power to heal. The priests were only inspectors who determined whether they still had the disease, and they would look over the leper and pronounce him either clean or unclean. And if they were clean, the priests would permit them to return into the society of the camp. Jesus here, he does not give even a promise to them of a cleansing. He speaks no word of healing to them directly. He simply tells them, he simply tells them to go to the priest and be inspected. And as he commanded them to go to the priest and be inspected, he did so before they were healed. They were to go before they were cleansed. They were to go before they had any evidence of their being healed. They were to act as if they had already been healed before they were. The healing was implied in his command. It was a test of their confidence as to whether they believed he could heal them. They cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. And he said to them, go, show yourself to the priests. And they had to believe that as they obeyed his command while they were on the way, their leprosy would disappear. It was not to be a spontaneous healing, but a gradual cure. All they had was the command of Jesus, and as they went on their way, obeying his command, then they would gradually receive the cure. And this is what happened. We read, at the end of verse 14, and it came about that as they were going, as they were going, they were cleansed. At some point along the way, at some point, they were all cleansed from their leprosy. Each one of them could look upon himself and, and see that his scaly boils of the disease had disappeared. His entire body had been healed. His flesh had been returned to health. 
Every man could see this in himself. And then as each one looked upon the others, they could see the same thing. It was a cleansing. They had all been healed of their disease. It was a miraculous power that had come from Jesus. A cleansing of this most dreaded disease. And not just one leper, but the cleansing of all ten of them at the same time. What an astonishing and amazing work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like an entire wing of the hospital of the sick and the needy and the dying and the perishing, all of them being healed all at once. The power of Jesus was not limited. He does not need to cleanse just one at a time. He can cleanse many all at once. An amazing miracle of his divine power a supernatural healing, a mighty work of Jesus. The foul disease of leprosy was now gone. Their skin was made new. A living death they were in. And it threatened to destroy them. And now they were all healed and restored to full health and life again. Up until this point, all ten men have the same story. But now, beginning in verses 15 and 16, things began begin to change. We read in verses 15 and 16, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Only one of the ten returned to Jesus and gave thanks to him. All ten had been healed by the same miraculous power of Jesus, but only one returned. And the one who returned to him was the Samaritan. This is what distinguished him from all the rest. That he was a Samaritan, that he was a Gentile, and now he was the only one who returned to give thanks. The other nine were Jews. They proceeded on to the priest. And this Samaritan would eventually go on to the priest as well. But before he did so, he recognized he had a much higher duty, which was to glorify God and to return and to give thanks to the one who had cleansed him. And that's what he did with a loud voice. He returned now to Jesus and Jesus standing there, this man fell at his feet and gave him thanks. In verse 15, glorifying God is the same as what we read of in verse 16, giving thanks to him. The two are one and the same, to glorify, to give thanks. To glorify God is the same as to give thanks to Jesus because Jesus is God. And this is what this man really recognized as this great power of healing had come over him, that he was in the presence of the Son of God and Jesus was the Savior. And so he returned and gave thanks to him.
We read in verses 17 and 18, Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Were there not ten that were cleansed? Yes, there were. But the nine, he says, the other nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus was grieved over the others who did not return to give thanks, but he was pleased with this Samaritan for his thanksgiving and glorification of God in the work. We sense Jesus' disappointment in his tone, the tone of his questions. All ten of them, yes, all ten of them were cleansed, but they did not come back and give thanks. Where are they, he says. Where are they? They are gone. They have taken the blessing and they have run. They are so eager to be pronounced clean by the priest so that they can return to their way of life that they make no effort and they are unwilling to even take the time to return and give thanks. They care nothing for the one who has truly healed them of that disease. Their ingratitude is very astonishing. A miraculous cure, a supernatural healing had been performed on all of them, one which they had longed for, one which they were desperate for, and one which they could have never received apart from Jesus Christ. But when they received it, they go on their way without any word of thanksgiving to him. And the only one who turned back and gave glory to God was this foreigner, this Samaritan. And then Jesus said to him in verse 19, he said, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It could perhaps better be translated, your faith has saved you. That's the way it's translated in other passages. That's the way you see it perhaps in the margin of your Bible. Go your way. Your faith has not only made you well in terms of leprosy, but your faith has saved you, has brought salvation to you. This cannot, this cannot here refer to the cleansing of the leprosy, which the ten had already received, and which this man had before he returned. This here, go your way, your faith has saved you. This must refer to a higher, a new and higher blessing above which the others had received the blessing of salvation. And here in this passage, this is the first time that Jesus spoke of faith. And the faith belonged to this Samaritan alone. The others did not have this faith. And Jesus here in verse 19, he intends a greater blessing by these words. They were all cleansed of their leprosy, but this man was cleansed not only of his leprosy, but he was cleansed of his sin and he was brought into eternal salvation. Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. These were the very same words 
that Jesus spoke on other occasions when he forgave men of their sins and gave them eternal life. The same words are found in Luke chapter 7 when the immoral woman entered the house of the Pharisee and wept at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The other nine heard Jesus' command, go and show yourself to the priests. They received the blessing, the supernatural healing of Jesus, but it was only a physical and outward healing. This Samaritan alone received a spiritual blessing, a healing that brought him into eternal life. Rise and go your way, your faith has saved you. The other nine, they had a temporary and superficial acquaintance with Jesus and they went on their way and they never returned to him. The Samaritan alone, the Samaritan alone shows a permanent and a wholehearted attachment to Christ by faith. And by faith he came and bowed at Jesus' feet and glorified God and gave thanks to him. And the promise was given to him. Rise, go your way. Your faith has saved you. Several lessons we can learn from this miracle of Jesus this morning. And the first is, that Jesus expects a return of thanksgiving for mercies received. He expects a thanksgiving, a return of thanksgiving for mercies received. How important thanksgiving is to Jesus because that's what this passage is really all about. He had performed the great miracle And then in verse 17, he stood, he stood, it seems, and he remained there and he was waiting. He was waiting for them all to return to him. He was waiting for a return of thanksgiving. They had all cried for mercy. The mercy had been granted. It was a very great mercy. Could they not have returned to give thanks? Was it not the very least they could have done? And it was all that Jesus expected in return. He had done a mighty work, which they did not deserve. He had done a great miracle for them, which they had not earned. And what did he expect in return? some great work of sacrifice, some payment of silver and gold to compensate for what he had done. No, no, all Jesus expects in return for his blessings is thanksgiving to him. And if he had received it, he would have been pleased and satisfied with thanksgiving from these helpless men. 
for what he had done. The same thing is true for us today as Christians. Whatever mercy we may receive from him, however great or however small it might be, some answer to our prayers, something unexpected, some unusual blessing, some relief, some deliverance out of some trouble, perhaps grace to help us in our times of need. All Jesus wants to see from us is a thanksgiving to be returned to him. Psalm 116 and verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall give thanksgiving to him. Perhaps someone might say, well, I have not received a supernatural miracle like healing, and so do I really need to give thanks? If you are a Christian here this morning, you have received an even greater supernatural miracle from the Lord Jesus in heaven, which is your salvation. A cleansing from a disease that is far worse than any leprosy. A cleansing of your sin. A cleansing that is so pure and clean that you are acceptable into the presence of God forever by the blood of Jesus, which cleanses from all sin. An eternal salvation. Go your way, he has said to every Christian, and be saved. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. This man received a supernatural miracle. We have received a miracle that is even far greater and will last into eternity. This man's cleansing of his leprosy only lasted for a little while. Our blessing from Christ will last forever. Even the common and ordinary blessings of life come from him, which we should never forget. In him we live and breathe and have our being. Because of him and because of his living power, we awoke this morning with breath in our lungs to rise and walk and go to his house to give thanksgiving to him. There is nothing, there is nothing that we have. There is nothing, there is no gift. There is no skill. There is no money. There is no possession, there is nothing that we have received that we have not received from him. From him is all things, are all things given to us. Physical and spiritual, whatever they might be. And what does he do? He waits to receive thanksgiving from us. And that's all he requires from us. What a gracious master that we have in heaven, that he gives great things to us and all he wants from us is thanksgiving in return. We receive the blessing and he receives the praise. That's the, that's the deal. That's the arrangement of how it should work. We helpless sinners receive blessing he, the great Savior, receives praise and thanksgiving. And that's the way it will be in heaven for all eternity. There is nothing that comes from us. All things come.
from him. Are you not offended when you do some good thing to another person and you receive no thanksgiving in return? Is it not the first, one of the first things that parents teach their children to give thanks when they are giving something? And so it is with Jesus that he was grieved with the other nine who went on their way, but he was well pleased with the Samaritan who came and bowed and gave thanks to him. He says in verse 17, were there not ten cleansed? We're not, can we not imagine Jesus on the throne of heaven, at least in the thoughts of his mind, saying, were there not so many blessings that I have bestowed? Were there not so many mercies that I have given? Where, where are they now? Where are the thanksgiving that should come to me? Was no one found and turn back to give glory to God except for this one. A second lesson that we can learn from the passage is that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus. This is what we see in verse 19 when Jesus said to him, Rise, go your faith, your faith, go your way, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has brought you salvation. This is how this man was saved not by any good works, but by faith alone in the Lord Jesus. We are not saved by good works. We are not saved by our own efforts to reform ourselves and to make ourselves better. We can never make ourselves acceptable in the sight of God. There is only one way to be saved, by the righteousness and by the blood of Jesus alone. And by faith in him, we receive everything that he has for us, for our salvation. So this is the only way of salvation. This is how this man was saved. Do you see any good works mentioned here? Did he have any human effort that earned this salvation? No, he was a helpless and desperate leper, and we are helpless and desperate sinners, and there is only one who has righteousness and the blood that can cleanse us from all of our sins, and we receive Christ and all his benefits by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. A third lesson is that thankfulness is the evidence of that faith. Thankfulness is the evidence of a new heart, really. That's the great difference here between the nine who went their way and the one who returned with thanksgiving. It was the evidence of who he was now in his soul. It was the evidence of the work of grace in his own heart. It was the proof of his faith that he returned to Jesus and gave thanksgiving. Unthankfulness is one of the marks of the unconverted. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that they do not honor him as God or give thanks. And that's what we see in the nine who departed. This is the way it is in the world every day. New mercies are coming down from our Lord Jesus. He sends rain. He sends sunshine. He sends fruitful seasons so that men can have food and gladness of heart and 
That's what he did in the recent days. So many gathered for Thanksgiving, but unaware of who they truly were given thanks to, just some holiday called Thanksgiving. But it was God who had sent the mercies, and there was no real Thanksgiving that was given. And that's the way it is with unbelievers. The unbelieving heart is always an ungrateful heart. And the heart of stone is always an unthankful heart. But this one Samaritan, he showed the new heart. He showed his true faith. He could not leave. He could not leave without coming back and returning thanksgiving and pouring out his joy and praise to the one who had cleansed him in this way. So if we are believers, we must always be like him. We have received so much. We deserve nothing. We can earn nothing. Nothing comes from us. All things come from him. And so we should give thanks to him for all things. Is that not part of the great plague that still resides in our hearts? We think that we deserve things. If you think you deserve things, then you will not be given thanks when you receive it. If you think that things in your life come to you from your own power and your own wisdom, why would you give thanks for those things? But the fact is that everything that we have is from him. And so we should always be giving thanks. Thanksgiving is not a holiday on one day of the year for a Christian. Thanksgiving is an entire way of life that flows out of the heart of faith to him. A fourth lesson that we can learn is that Thanksgiving prepares the way greater blessings thanksgiving for previous blessings or blessings received paves the way for greater blessings that's what happened here with the Samaritan he received the cure of the outward disease of leprosy he came and returned to Jesus and gave thanks to him and now in verse 19 he received an even greater blessing to him a thankful heart is the pathway it is the preparation for even greater blessings that come and when Jesus saw the thanksgiving from this one man, he was ready, willing to bestow even a greater blessing upon him of assurance of his salvation. The other nine had received the outward blessing. And Jesus was ready to bestow all blessings upon them. But they did not return. And so they did not receive when we receive blessings from above, we must give thanks. That prepares the way for greater blessings to come. Another lesson, a fifth lesson we learn here is that we must go forward with faith in Jesus and the word of God. These lepers, they were told in verse 14 to go and show themselves to the priest. That's all they had was the word of Jesus. They went on their way and as they were on their way, they were cleansed. And so it is with us that we are to believe in the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because by the word, we are cleansed and we are healed of our sins. Jesus said to the disciples in the upper room, you are already clean because of the word, because of the word that I have spoken to you. He prayed in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them. Truth, the word, is the means of our sanctification. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So the word of Jesus is what cleanses us in terms of our sanctification. And that's what took place here with these men. He told them what to do. They followed his word and they were cleansed. And so it is with us. We must believe his word. We must go forward with faith in Jesus using his word. And then we will be cleansed eternally from all of our sins and brought into his eternal salvation. Jesus has promised it. And he will make it true. And we will be perfect in holiness in the end. A last lesson we learn here is that the gospel of salvation will go to the Gentiles. These nine men gave no glory to God. They gave no thanksgiving, these nine men. They gave no thanksgiving, these men who gave no thanksgiving to God. They were Jews. And in them, we have a picture of the history of the entire history of the Jewish nation in their rejection of the Messiah. They were the chosen people of God in the Old Testament. They enjoyed the great privileges of the word of God. The scriptures were given to them. The prophets were sent to them. The temple worship was established in Jerusalem. Salvation was of the Jews. But when Jesus came, they did not receive him, and the vast majority rejected him, even to the point of demanding his death upon the cross. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And John tells us that though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This is what happened here. This great work of God had been done for them. They were cleansed of their leprosy, but still they did not believe in the Savior. And all nine Jews refused to turn back and give thanks. They were like the fathers, their fathers before them. They received the privileges and the blessings of God. And they witnessed so many of his mighty works, but they did not believe and glorify him. Or give thanks. The whole history of the Jewish people is summed up in this one passage. They saw the mighty works of God and they forgot him. And it came to their culmination in the rejection of the Messiah. The danger is still the same that men receive so many blessings, so many outward privileges of religion, but they do not truly come to know
the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior with faith in him and give thanksgiving and glory to him. He received least from those he expected to receive the most, his own people. He received the most from the one he expected to receive the least, the foreigner, the Samaritan. He received the most from that Samaritan. And here we have a picture of the gospel now is going to go to the Gentiles. It will be taken from that nation. It will be sent to the ends of the earth. And salvation will now go to the Gentiles. Jesus said the same thing to the Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8. He marveled and he said, truly, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And the same thing is what he's saying here. I have not found such great faith among any of the Jewish people, but among from this one Samaritan. And Jesus said, he said, I say to you, many shall come from east and west. Many shall come from the lands of the Gentiles. They shall recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, the people of Israel, who did not give thanks, they shall be cast into the outer darkness. And in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we close this morning. We look at those words of Jesus in verse 17, where he says, where were the ten that were cleansed? Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? He says, where are they? And perhaps you this morning, as you sit here this morning, Jesus would ask the same question of you. Where, where are you? You have received so many blessings from him in your life. Have you given him thanks? And will you settle? Will you settle for only superficial and temporary blessings of the things of this life? Or will you not return to him in repentance and faith and receive the greatest of all blessings, which he is so willing to give to helpless, desperate sinners if you come to him and bow at his feet in repentance, then he will give you the greatest blessing that you could ever receive. He will forgive you of all of your sins. He will cleanse you in the sight of God. He will give you a good conscience. He will free you from the power of sin. He will justify you in heaven forever. He will bring you into his eternal kingdom. Why will you stop why will you stop at just the superficial and temporary blessings that he sends when he has such infinitely greater, unsearchable treasures that he can give to you so freely? Come to Jesus and be saved. And may he say to you, as he said to this one man, rise, go your way. Your faith has saved you. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, we do bless you and thank you this morning. There is such a wonderful and glorious Savior of sinners in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is able to cleanse all of us.
He is able to wash us, to deliver us, to bring us into peace with God. He is able to do all that we need in time and in eternity. Lord, help us as your people to give thanksgiving to you and help those who do not know you to turn from their sins and to find mercy in our Lord Jesus. We pray that you would hear us now in Jesus' name. Amen.